There's lots of advice telling you how to set and reach your goals. But before you dive in, it's a good idea to know God's plan for your life. Find joy in pursuing the next steps God has for you in Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Forward, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose in Your Tomorrow. God does have a perfect plan for you, and it's time to embrace your life's purpose. It's time to move forward. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash forward. If you've ever had the burden of waiting on someone to forgive you, you're not alone. King David found himself in the same circumstances. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at forgiveness with insights from the king who was well acquainted with it. Don't despair. Forgiveness is closer than you think. Listen as David introduces today's message, How Can I Find Forgiveness? And thank you for joining us today. This is Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah, and we're talking about 10 questions that Christians are asking. So far, we have discussed how to be sure of your salvation, how to overcome temptation, and how to get victory over worry. Now we're beginning two days of talking about how can I find forgiveness. Of course, uh, David is the one who writes about this in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And his experience uh, is at the raw edge of experiences. Because as you know, he committed adultery. He caused a man to be killed. He committed murder. And yet he found forgiveness in God. You can do that as well. How do you feel forgiveness? It's not about feeling, it's about knowing. And so the next two days, we're going to talk about what you need to know to find forgiveness. And uh, during this month, we're making a resource available to people because we think it's going to be so helpful. Um, During my time as a pastor, I have fielded many questions. Everywhere I go, people have questions. They speak them to me. They write them to me. They send me emails and and, uh, questions in every which way you can communicate them. And some people approach me with intellectual questions. They want to know about God and his nature. And some want to know more about the scriptures and the signs of the times. That's a big one. Other questions have been like issues of the heart. These are more of the emotional things people are going through. And you can feel the anguish as they go through these things. So I've committed my life to the proposition that the Bible has the answers we seek and that Jesus is the answer we need. And so here's a book filled with answers to 10 questions people have asked me. And we're right in the beginning stage of this question, how can I find forgiveness? You can get a copy of this book during the month of May by simply sending a gift of any size to the Ministry of Turning Point. That's right. Just send a gift of any size. Your gift is tax deductible. Uh, Do the best you can. We know that you are not all able to send large gifts, and some of you may have uh, just a small gift to send. We're okay with that because what we found is that when God blesses people with resources, they do more than enough. And when folks are struggling, the more than enough of others helps to cover the not quite enough of those who are in that space. So together, we make this available to everyone. Ask God what he wants you to do. Do your very best. And whatever you do, be sure and ask for the book, and we'll send it to you right away. Well, let's get started with this lesson, 
How Can I Find Forgiveness? We're looking, first of all, at Psalm 32. We are trying to answer some questions that people have. We've discovered along the way that most of the questions we have about things that bother us, if we look, we will find a central passage in the Word of God that deals with that question. We have found out that if you are a worrier, you can get some answers in Matthew chapter 6. If you struggle with temptation, 2 Corinthians 10.13 will help you. And today, we're going to answer another question. And this is one that I hear in one form or another a lot, both in verbal conversations and especially through the mail and the email. I want to talk with you about how to find forgiveness. And the key passage, the central passage on that is the 32nd Psalm, Psalm 32. So find your place there, and we'll unpack that psalm in a few moments. For the first few months, Stuart felt that he had gotten off easy. You see, he'd been responsible for the death of an 18-year-old girl by the name of Susan. He had taken her life from her in an automobile accident. He had been drunk and plowed into her car on a New Year's morning, killing her instantly. He was immediately convicted of manslaughter and drunken driving, and on top of this uh, criminal trial where he was indicted, Susan's family filed a civil suit against him, and they won. And they requested an unusual and creative judgment. Though they had originally sued Stewart for $1.5 million, they decided to settle for $936. Those $936 were to be paid in a specific way. Every Friday, the day that Susan died, Stuart was to make out a check for $1 in her name and mail it to the family. The $936 were to be paid out $1 per week for 18 years. $1 for each year of Susan's life And Susan's family wanted Stuart to remember what he had done. So Stuart discovered after he was first kind of, oh, this is great. I don't have to do much. I'll get off easy. He thought the payment system was a lark. And then he began to grow weary with it. And it got worse. He found himself becoming depressed as he was reminded every Friday that he was responsible for a young woman's death. Writing her name on the check became more and more painful, and he stopped writing them. The family went back to court to force him to continue. Four times during the next eight years, Stuart stopped paying, and he was forced to start again by a court order. Finally, testifying that he was haunted by Susan's death and tormented by the payments, Stuart went to court himself to appeal the cruel punishment that had been levied on him. And in court, he offered Susan's family two boxes of checks covering payments for the remainder of the 18 years, plus an extra year thrown in. And the family refused. What we want, they said, is to receive that check every week on time. We will pursue this until those years are completed and we'll go back to court every month if we have to. 
What Stuart was experiencing is what every man or woman experiences to some degree until he knows he has been totally and completely forgiven. In personal relationships, this applies until we know forgiveness has been effected, we continue to pay over and over and over again for what we have done. And this applies to our relationships with each other, but especially to our relationship with Almighty God. And this is what David is going to tell us about in the 32nd Psalm. He opens his heart to us in a very unusual way. For over one year after his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah, David had refused to acknowledge his sin. In Psalm 51, we find out how he finally confessed his sin and in the initial prayer to God for forgiveness. But here in the 32nd Psalm, David looks back on that whole experience and he encourages all of us to seek forgiveness. As we go through the Psalm, We need to keep in the back of our mind that this is written by a tormented man who has waited 12 months to get right with God. And it begins with the priority of forgiveness in verses 3 and 4. David writes, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the draught of summer. As David reflects on the pain of an unforgiven life, he remembers the source of his trouble. He kept silent about his sin. What else is there in times of guilt but silence? And we talk to people, but we can't talk to them anymore. Even those closest to us, we can't talk to God. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And this was no small thing for David, especially because he was a man who kept counsel with God constantly on every subject. Now a gulf of silence stretched between God and David, and the man after God's own heart found himself exiled because he chose not to confess his sin. David describes his pain, if you look at the text, in much the same way that Stuart described his. Notice three things about his situation. He was wasting away. My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. The verb for grow old means to waste away. David's energy and strength were diminished. He became weak as he carried the burden of his unforgiven sin. The weight of his soul began to wear out the strength of his body, and he felt like an old, worn-out man. He goes on to say that not only was he wasting away, he was weighed down. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. It's interesting to note that God was the one who was weighing David down. God's hand was not heavy on David to simply remind him of his guilt. God's hand was heavy on David to draw him back and cause him to recognize his need of forgiveness. He was wasting away, and he was weighed down, and he was wearing out. He says, my vitality was turned into the draught of summer. David says that the vitality of his soul was being drained away. He likens it to the summer season in Israel after the rains are over, and Israel becomes parched and dry. This is David. He's limp with exhaustion. 
because he has not confessed his sin to God. The priority of forgiveness. And then in verses 1 and 2, we see the power of forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When we are experiencing the trauma of an unforgiven life, we can doubt whether forgiveness is even possible. We might begin to think that our particular sin is beyond the pale of God's ability to forgive it. But David begins his psalm with the word of hope. He recounts his own experience of being forgiven, and he assures us that that experience can be true for us as well. He uses four words for sin in his little soliloquy. He says, first of all, it is transgression. And transgression is a defiant disobedience against God. Then he uses the word sin in the same text. And this word is a picture of an archer who shoots an arrow at a target and he misses it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then he uses the word iniquity. Iniquity is a more gross term, if you will. It's perversion, distortion of that which is right. means to be corrupt or twisted. And the word deceit is from a Hebrew word which means to be self-deceived. Disobedience against God, missing the mark, distortion or perversion, and deceiving yourself about all of it. As David tracks the downward progression of his sin, he does so to remind us that every kind of sin can be forgiven. Every kind. One author has written, the psalmist declares that forgiveness of sin of whatever kind, whether against God or human beings, whether great or small, whether conscientious or inadvertent, or whether by omission or commission, all of that can be forgiven, and forgiveness is found in God. The nature of sin is not the issue. The nature of God is the issue. He is a forgiving God. He is the God who forgives transgression and sin and iniquity and deceit. Whatever kind of sin you might have conjured up in your spirit, I am here to tell you that Almighty God is able to forgive that sin. So what exactly does forgiveness look like? When God forgives us, what does he do with our transgression, our sin, our iniquity, and our deceit? Well, the definition of forgiveness is interesting because it's wrapped up in the word itself. In the Old Testament, there are a number of words for the word forgive, but if you look at all of them, they all have the same concept. It's the idea of conveying something away, remitting something, making it go away. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will make it go away. If you go to the study Bible that some of you have, and don't do it now, but in the 16th chapter of Leviticus, there's a really interesting little sidebar about what happens on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement in Israel in the Old Testament, among other things, they would bring two goats to the priests, and the priests would take the first goat, and they would sacrifice that goat, and the blood of that goat would be gathered in a basin and then sprinkled on the mercy seat in, in, the, in the tabernacle. 
The mercy seat was the place of atonement before God. This represented the payment for sin being offered up to God. But then the priest would lay his hands on the other goat and send the goat out into the wilderness as far away. He would just take the goat where it could never come back. And that signaled what forgiveness was. It's transferring the sin to the goat, sending it out to the wilderness, picturing the fact that forgiveness is taking your sin and sending it away, making it go away as far as it can go, never to return. The Old Testament word for forgiveness is that picture of sending your sin away. That's what happens when you confess your sin. God takes it and he sends it away. In the New Testament, there are four words that are used to describe the word forgiveness. But I just want to read to you some of the passages where that word is used. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. The word remission means to remit, to make it go away. In his book, Unpacking Forgiveness, Chris Bronze lists five things about the forgiveness of God that help to define the term. First of all, he tells us that God's forgiveness is costly. While it is free to us and there's nothing we can do to get it except to ask for it, in order for God to forgive us, he had to give us his son up as a sacrifice. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that went against you, having nailed it to the cross, we can be forgiven because everything we have done wrong that deserves to be punished with death, Almighty God nailed it to the cross of his son and offers us the result, forgiveness for our sin. Bronze goes on to say that God's forgiveness is committed. When God forgives us, he makes a commitment that we are pardoned from our sin and that it is no longer counted against us. Isaiah 43, 25 is a good verse to write down if you'd struggle with your forgiveness. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. God's forgiveness is committed. And it is also conditional. Now, hear me carefully. The only condition for forgiveness is that you confess your sin. That's it. That's the only one. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins. He is, well, if God knows my sins already, why doesn't he just forgive me? Because God knows your sins and he knows everything about your sin, but he wants to be sure you know about your sin too. And he wants you to bring your sin and bring it to him and confess it and acknowledge. And the word confess means to say the same thing about sin that God says. So don't go up there and posture. Don't stand before God and try to downplay your sin. Don't tell God, I think I made a mistake. No, you sinned. Tell God what you did, unvarnished, and confess it. And the Bible says, if you confess your sin... He is faithful and just to forgive you all your sin. That's it. Just confess it. You mean I don't have to do penance? No. You don't have to do service for six months. You have to confess your sin, and God will forgive it. 
And then the Bible tells us that sin is corrective. When you confess your sin, things begin to change. When you're walking as David did for 12 months with unconfessed sin, everything's messed up. But when David confessed his sin, God brought back to him the joy of his salvation. David prayed, Lord God, give me back the joy of my salvation. Let me ask you all to be honest with your pastor today. How many of you, even for a short time, have ever lost the joy of your salvation? Can I get a witness here? We all have. And you know the quickest way to lose the joy of your salvation is to fall into sin and then not confess it. David said, oh God, you have restored to me the joy of my salvation. And then finally, God's forgiveness is connective. When you get right with God, you start to find out you're getting right with everybody else. We have fellowship with God and then we have fellowship one with another. Two violins that are tuned to the same piano will be in tune with each other. And when we're out of tune with God, we are going to be out of tune with God's people. If you're a husband here and you're out of tune with God and your wife is walking with the Lord in a very spiritual way, you're out of tune with her. You confess your sin and get right with God. It not only tunes you up to God, it connects you with the people who know God as well. This is really kind of the core of what I want you to take away today. God wants us to get this point so much that he gave us five metaphors for forgiveness. Five pictures of what it means to be forgiven by God. And I'm just going to take you through this, and I want you to write these verses down, because one of these days, the enemy's going to come, and he's going to tempt you to not think you're forgiven, and you need to take him to the Word of God, just like Jesus did in the desert, and say, devil, here's what my Bible says about forgiveness. Are you ready for these? Here's the first one. God's forgiveness is like putting your sin as far away as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Almighty God took your sin when he forgave you, and just like the goat that was sent to the wilderness, he made it go as far away as the east is from the west. Here's the second one. God's forgiveness is like burying something in the deepest sea. Micah seven nineteen says, You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Go to the deepest sea on planet earth and try to remember how deep it is and realize that Almighty God took all your sin and he buried it at the lowest part of the deepest part of the deepest sea, never to be retrieved. Number three. God's forgiveness is like casting something behind your back. Isaiah 38, 17 says, you have cast all my sins behind your back. What is that meant to convey? That you can't see them. God doesn't see your sin. He's cast all your sin away from his ability to see it. That's a humanism from the New Testament. But it's meant to convey that God takes your sin away. And he takes it all away. And then God's forgiveness, number four, is like erasing something from existence. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgression, and like a cloud I have blotted out your sins. God has taken a cloud, and he's just taken it and covered all your sins and blotted them out. And then this is the best one of all. God's forgiveness is like God forgetting that it ever happened. Can you imagine that? 
I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. God does not remember your sin if he forgives you. And you know, friends, I want to just add a little bit of commentary to that. God doesn't forget your sin. God can't forget. He chooses not to remember. (laughs) And there's a big difference there. God makes a conscious decision not to remember your sins. That means not to hold you accountable for them when you ask for forgiveness. What a blessing that is. And I'm blessed to tell you there's more to this. We'll talk about it again tomorrow here on the Wednesday edition of Turning Point. I know you'll want to hear the rest of this message as we deal with this significant question. And during the month of May, we're making all these answers to all these questions available in a book that you can get only from Turning Point. It's a Turning Point production. The book is called 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. Let God Turn Your Question Marks Into Exclamation Points. And uh, we're very excited about this because it really is a book of answers that are not just somebody's ideas. This is not a psychological discussion. This is what the Bible says about the questions you have in your heart. These are biblical answers to really pertinent questions. And the book is available to you for a gift of any size during the month of May. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. Thank you for your prayers and support of Turning Point. We invite you to make an even bigger impact by becoming one of our Bible Strong partners, a special group whose support of the ministry is crucial in helping Dr. David Jeremiah deliver the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. Turning Point is committed to presenting sound biblical teaching all across Canada. And when you stand with us in partnership, we also commit to you to provide you with empowering resources to keep you Bible Strong. When you set up your online account at davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong, you will have instant access to Dr. Jeremiah's topical living library audio messages and his companion booklets, exclusive club resources, and our quarterly Influencing Your World newsletter. You can also purchase additional study guides at a 50% discount for personal or small group studies with our convenient one-click checkout. Plus, join our exclusive Facebook page. You will have special access to new audio podcasts and additional content from Dr. Jeremiah. Join with other Bible Strong partners today by committing to give 
$25 or more each month. Your prayers and donations are the backbone of Turning Point, keeping us Bible strong. For more information or to join, visit our website today at davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society.